Did you see those images of over a million dead cod in the Murray-Darling Basin recently? It was quite a striking mass death brought on by blue-green algae in the river. And in an unusual twist, algae might actually be able to create fish for humans to eat in the future. To explain this and other trends in food that are on the edge of science but about to become mainstream, I'm joined by food futurist Tony Hunter. Hello, Tony. Hello, Ashwin. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How do you make fish out of algae? Well, algae are very interesting things, Ashwin. Um, They're right at the very start of the food chain for all food on the planet. And some of these microalgae can be grown and they can produce very interesting products for humans. So things like food supplements, omega-3s, how omega-3s get into fish is because they eat the algae and it goes into the fish. And now someone is not only doing that and going to make omega-3s or anything else, they're going to actually turn algae into smoked salmon. How does that sound? That sounds delicious, but I just don't understand. Even if algae are at the bottom of the food chain, how do you make a smoked salmon out of algae without you know, two other salmon reproducing? Well, I mean, when I call it smoked salmon, it's not actual salmon flesh, but what they've done, if you like, is bypassed the, the fish itself and taken the microalgae and turned them into a smoked salmon-style product. And actually, um, I actually tasted some of that today because it's actually commercially available in France. Only the French could think of something like this, and they love their smoked salmon, and they decided that for those who don't want to eat fish, that they would make smoked salmon from microalgae. How far away is this? You're saying it's available now in the US. Is Australia going to be having these kind of products quite soon? Well, it's available in France. I tasted it in the US. I'm actually in San Francisco at the moment. Um, and it's available in France. And it may be coming out to Australia soon. I've been talking to the um, inventor of the whole process. And it's something that we actually may be able to bring down to Australia. You're listening to ABC Radio. I'm talking to food futurist Tony Hunter about where we're going with food. Tony, you're in San Francisco at the moment. So I suppose you're seeing some of the cutting edge trends that are emerging. Can you take us through the kind of food innovations that you're seeing over there? Yeah, look, very interesting, actually. I've been at the Alternative Protein Show, and what they look at is all the different alternative proteins. Some we've talked about before. We won't go through those again, like plant-based foods and cell-based meat. But some of the really interesting ones that I saw there, how about um, food from electricity? Okay. What do you mean? How do you, how do you make food from electricity? Well, what they do is they use solar power to generate electricity. They then use that to split water into hydrogen and oxygen, and they have bacteria that can use the hydrogen, and then you can put in waste CO2, so instead of putting it into the atmosphere as a greenhouse gas, you can feed it to the bacteria, give them a few minerals, that bacteria grows, and then you harvest the bacteria, and you have protein that you can use for all sorts of things, anything from fish feed to um, high-protein meals um, for human consumption or anything else, and that's a... Finnish company is doing that. Exciting. What else have you seen over there? Uh, let me think, Ashley. How about pet food from fungi? <laughs> I mean, humans probably wouldn't eat it, but your cat doesn't know it's eating fungus food, does it? <laughs> That's right. Now, what these guys do is, you're all familiar, of course, with soybeans and you know, soybean paste and things like that, and that's from a fungus called koji. And a company called Wild Earth decided, well... If 
humans like that, and they love that that taste because you know what's called the umami taste from these soy products. Why don't we try doing that sort of product and see if particularly dogs like it? This is really aimed at dogs because dogs are actually not obligate carnivores; they are actually omnivores. Cats are obligate carnivores, so they're a different kettle of fish, no pun intended, um, compared to dogs. So dogs can eat a properly balanced. Um, non-meat diet, and that's what these guys are doing. Where are we heading with insects? Ah, insects, one of my favourites, Ashwin. Look, two billion people in the world currently eat insects. Maybe you'd like a fried tarantula, scorpion on a stick, um, some deep-fried crickets. I mean, you know, those two billion people regularly eat uh, insects. And for us in the West, it really is more a cultural thing than anything else. I mean, a prawn is a weird-looking thing, but we think nothing of eating that. And um, you can actually, in Australia, buy some insect products if you like. There's a company called the Edible Bug Shop. They will sell you roasted crickets or milk chocolate mealworms. And then there's a company in Thailand that makes cricket pasta and silkworm made into potato chip tile snacks. Are all insects the same when it comes to nutrition? Not all the same, but generally insects have really good high protein and a good amino acid profile for, you know, for humans and animals. And also the fats are very, very good as well. Um, the ones that really are most used are what they call the yellow mealworm larvae, which is actually a beetle, and black soldier fly larvae. And they're used a lot at the moment, particularly making food for aquaculture, for feeding to fish, because we're losing the fish in the ocean. There's not enough food uh, that they can catch to feed to the other fish in aquaculture, so therefore they need to some other source of protein. And that source of protein can come from insects. Let's face it, what does salmon eat? They jump out of the water and eat insects. Even chickens, when they peck, they eat insects. As you look at all these trends, what do you think is the future for traditional farmers that grow chicken and beef and pork? What's the landscape going to be like in 10 years, 20 years? Very difficult to predict what will happen, but I think that we're going to need the conventional agriculture people for a long, long time. And that really there are far more opportunities than threats in these alternative proteins. Population keeps going up. Middle class keeps rising everywhere in the world, particularly in Asia and in the coming years in Africa. I think there's there's space really for everyone and lots of opportunities. Can you see Western consumers who haven't grown up eating insects the way some people in Asia might have adapting to that as adults? I think it's difficult um, as adults, but I was talking to a lady, actually one who um, runs the edible bug shop, and uh, her kids have no problems in eating insects. She's brought them up with insects, and they have no problems with insects for lunch. A snack of some nice crunchy crickets and right up their alley. Is there anything else at the conference? I mean, it sounds like an exciting world you've got over there. Is there anything else that people would be surprised to hear about? Well, there's a product that's actually been on the market for a while over here, which is scrambled eggs, a liquid product made from mung beans. And I tasted that out of a company called Just this afternoon, and it really does taste a lot like scrambled eggs. These guys apply an enormous amount of science 
to selecting the right proteins from various plant sources, they travelled to Guatemala and travel up into the hinterland of the Amazon to collect the most exotic type of plant beans and roots and so on that they can find to test to see whether they're going to make good products as substitute for things like, like eggs. And that was a very interesting one. Is that just a matter of tasting trial and error, or can, is there a science to it where they can look at the chemical structure of the proteins to know, right, this bean is very likely to taste like scrambled eggs? That's right. You hit the nail right on the head there, Ashwin. I went through their labs and the equipment and the technology these guys apply, they run 72 tests on a particular bean protein and then that runs through 32, each one of those 72 runs through 32 tests and then they select from there down to 100 and then they look at the properties of that. Then they extract some and give it to their Michelin-starred chefs who then start playing with it and see what products they can actually make. So it's a very scientifically sophisticated process followed up by chefs who understand food. You're listening to ABC Radio. I'm talking to the food futurist, Tony Hunter. Tony, how is Australia positioned to take advantage of some of these food trends? I think that we're very well positioned. We have terrific science base at the universities. We've got some great accelerators like Cicada in Sydney, who are helping to accelerate small companies, startups, into commercialisation. And we've actually got a couple of my colleagues from Australia over here in San Francisco who are starting up alternative protein companies. And so that speaks very well. CSIRO actually have two people permanently based in San Francisco now just selling Australian IP to American companies. So I think terrific future for Australia. How important is it for Australia to succeed in this industry financially in the future? Look, absolutely essential, Ashwin. At the moment, agriculture is about $60 billion industry. By 2030, it'll be $100 billion. Now, that's the same as mining and construction. Now, you know, that can either turn out to be more of let's just sell more commodities or we can do what we haven't done well in the past as a country, which is value-add, secondary and tertiary value-adding. And I think we're getting smarter in that area in our application of our science through things like Uniquest, who look to commercialise the University of Queensland's IP into real-life products. We have accelerators coming in here as well. I think we're very well positioned. We're not quite where San Francisco is. I mean, these guys have had Silicon Valley for a long time, and they're turning those technologies to food. So, yep, they are, they are ahead of us. But I think we're catching up at quite a rate of knots. Is there anything Australia could do differently to close that gap? I think the best thing that could be done with Australia is for more government money to go into some of these products. So we take a more future, forward-looking approach. I mean, one thing I think we should have, every country should probably have, is a minister for the future who looks at what the future is for not only food, but transport, energy and everything else and really keeps track of what's going on because technology is vastly outrunning the ability of governments to cope legislatively. You've been hearing from food futurist Tony Hunter, who was in San Francisco. Any last words about the industry and what you're seeing, Tony? Uh, Look, I'll I'll leave you one last one because usually you finish off a good meal with something like a whiskey. How about a whiskey 
that never has seen a barrel or aging is solely made up chemically from the components in whiskey to taste like whiskey. That is an exciting future. Where do people get hold of this barrelless whiskey? Well, I've only available in San Francisco and New York. It was released in December. I'm on my way out on Friday to uh, have a taste of the product myself. So I'll, uh, I'll keep you informed, Ashwin. Tony Hunter, thanks for joining us. No problems, Ashwin. Thanks again for having me on.